Join spiritual feminist and empowerment coach Joni Advent Maher for Trust Your Sacred Feminine Flow. Listen in for intimate conversations about money, transformation, and feminine sovereignty. And now, your host, Joni Advent Maher. Welcome to Trust Your Sacred Feminine Flow. I'm your host, Joni Advent Maher, empowered living coach and spiritual feminist. And today, I have the pleasure of sharing time with Peggy Siegel. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you, Joni. So glad you're here. Glad to be here. Yes. Let me tell everyone a little bit more about you. Peggy has a full-time practice, and she offers energy healing and intuitive mentoring. She's taught numerous classes over the last 22 years in intuition, living with intention, personal spirituality, and writing as a spiritual practice, and more. She's written and published three books, including a recent spiritual memoir called Teaching Albert Einstein to Fly. Wow, that, that's a lot. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, and I, I just have to say I love the title of your book, and I know there's a wonderful story that goes with that. Yes, it's based on a dream mm-hmm. that was very transformative um, and awakening mm. so, and is uh, kind of a, uh, it was definitely the dream was what uh, the one of the main things that helped me shift from being a university educator and teacher trainer into um, energy work. So. Mm. Mm. Right. Well, the idea that it's a spiritual memoir, and I, I think you even refer to it as a, is it a middle-aged coming of age? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So can you tell us just about that journey, that, that transformation, that transition? <clears throat> um, well, I... I, at the time, I was, um, gosh, to, to, do you want me to tell, like, the arc of the book? Like this, I'm not sure what you're asking, actually. Um, actually, what I'm asking is that transformation. So not necessarily about the book, but the going from, it sounds like, from one life to, to another life in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was completely different. Um, yeah, I was uh, actually training teachers across the state of Virginia in uh, family life education. Um, the family life education bill had been passed, and I um, had written a curriculum for children with special needs. So I was training all the teachers, um, all the special ed teachers, and teachers who had special students with special needs, um, how to teach family life education to them. And it was very controversial and, Mm. um, it caused me to, uh, crash really. (laughs) Um, and, and in that crash, I realized that, um, I had my own healing work to do. And so I 
I stopped that work for a while, or I stopped it. Actually, it ended up I'd stopped doing that work um, and uh, worked with a therapist to un uncover, you know, what the things that needed to be healed, which were related to sexuality. So um, it's just was interesting how that happened. And um, so it was during the once um, once I once that healing took place, I just kept ask, wondering, you know, what what is it I'm supposed to be doing? And I it was, I kept looking at through one ads and considering all these different things, going back into teaching at university or classroom or all kinds of stuff, and um, nothing seemed right. Um, but one of the, one of the I got a number of hints, and but one of the hints was um, that it was going to be something more controversial than sex <laughs> children with special needs in Virginia, <laughs> Jerry Falwell's territory. Right. And so, um, I couldn't imagine what that could be. <laughs> and, and, but I started doing some things that were really different. I started, I entered a dream group. I started writing. I took a writing class. Um, it was lovely. It was at um, a woman's home and she, got you really to write from the heart and um, memoir type writing. So it was, that was really took, it took a few years before I, a number of hints built up until, um, and one of them was my teaching Albert Einstein to dream fly, uh, try, teaching Albert Einstein to fly dream. Mm. And um, so I don't know. There's there were so many. There were all these little things in a row that that the book talks about. Mm -hmm. um, if you're interested in the story. The book the book <laughs> definitely tells all these little stepping stones that then led me to do what seemed completely crazy at the time, which was to enroll in a three-year program in Washington D.C. Um, to learn energy healing. So, and my mantra with that entire three years was suspend disbelief mm. um, and stay with my experience. And I consistently had really amazing experiences learning how to sense energy and use my intuition all the time <laughs> and to um, see see life a, in a different way, really. Mm it really opened opened up everything so would you say that 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 transformation or that process uh would you you use the word awakening but would you say that it it brought you back to who you were all along or you expanded into a new form or, or how do you think about that question of like, was that that energy worker, intuitive uh, woman within you the whole time, and it, it just took these circumstances to set her free, or does that make sense? Yeah, um, it's kind of both of those things. Um, I definitely, once I started started the energy work program, it was like it was almost like it was all felt familiar mm -hmm. uh, that. There was an at-homeness 
I felt like I learned it kind of easily and quickly. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but there was, mm -hmm. um, there was something, it was, um, even though it was so countercultural and special and, you know, with my husband's a lawyer and <laughs> I had teenage kids and, you know, it's not easy <laughs> living in Richmond. No. Which is a very conservative place. So, yes. um, that was hard, but the, but, um, the clarity around, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do, that, mm. that never faded. Mm -hmm. faded. That was very clear. Although I kind of, I would say I railed against it. I mean, I definitely was like, why, why me? <laughs> Are you sure you've got the right person? <laughs> so, um, so that, and also what it, you said, yeah. And, and so even when I went to write the book, a lot of people had said, well, were you always really intuitive? And, um, probably, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. Mm -hmm. Maybe I might have had more. I was a very good guesser when growing up. I I won game any kind of guessing games. I did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> but I also um, like once this came out in the open more. Like one of my um, roommates. Uh, well, so I taught in Appalachia for mm -hmm. a few years, and when I was teaching there, one of my my roommates, we lived in this little cabin. Cabins uh, kind of makes it sound cuter. A generous term. <laughs> That's a generous <laughs> term. Um, we lived in the cabin. There was the only heat was this one propane heater. Mm. And, um, one night she, um, well, one night I, I woke up in the middle of the night and immediately ran to, there were just two little bedrooms like in a loft and then um, the, just living room, kitchen. But anyway, I ran right over to where she was and jerked her away from the propane heater. And she had fallen asleep on the living room floor and rolled into it. Mm. And, um, she reminded me of that, that she was totally creeped out that I had done that, <laughs> that I didn't, you know, I just went back to sleep, but she was like, how did you know to do that? Wow. <laughs> little, a few little things like that. Um, that, people reminded me of and something I remembered from childhood too mm. that I kind of knew ahead of time. Um, yes. Yeah, so you really were groundbreaking in our area because I too am in Richmond and have lived here all this time. And, and you have, you were someone that kind of put a stake in the ground uh, for for, we would say, a more expansive model of um, healing or growing or transformation in your work. And is, yep. there, is there anything you want to say just about that in terms of being being a pioneer, perhaps, in a, you know, in a conservative area? Yeah. Um, one of, I was, as far as I know, I was the first person to have like a full-time practice in an office. Mm -hmm. Energy healing. So as I mentioned, my husband's a lawyer and he's a local <laughs> government lawyer. <laughs> so when you get a certificate of occupancy before you get a business license, you have to say what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, I, so I kept writing these different things and I'd show them to him and he was like, 
too much information. Too much. <laughs> they just need to fit you in a category. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I ended up, I had, you know, I had been licensed as an educational consultant. So I actually kept that designation. I said I was an educational consultant, educating people about the energy field of the body and their health and well-being or something along those lines. And, um, so, so that was really helpful advice. Um, because I think back then, especially, and probably now you can still trip yourself up thinking that, um, not looking at what they what the information they need, but rather, like I didn't need to prove to everybody I was doing energy work. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think also that that whole notion of being a pioneer. I, I had been a pioneer in sex education. Mm-hmm. Actually, when in Apple, when I went to Appalachia, I went there because there was no special ed. Hmm. Um, and it was at, right after 94-142 had been passed, and the, the children with special needs did not come to school. And so wow. I kind of pioneered that then. It caused, um, so I had some experience being a pioneer. I think I just couldn't believe I was going to pioneer something like this. Yet a, yes, or yet again, maybe. And yeah. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there were... Interesting things like people initially mostly paid me in cash, huh. so that no, there would be no trail, paper trail, because this no. was this was in the nineties, yes. I was uh, ninety seven, ninety eight. Uh-huh. I guess uh-huh. I started practicing on people in ninety seven, but I opened my practice in ninety eight. And now, um, people are. I'm just amazed. People are much more open about it. Um, people admit that they've come to see me. <laughs> Not everyone, but, you know, some people. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been funny. And I think it's been um, hard for some people to admit that they've come to do energy work, especially some, like, I I, I tend to, um, well, so people are really, there's a real wide variety, but um, especially, like, I had a, uh, a federal judge and bank president and uh, like a politician, like those, those kind of people definitely, mm-hmm. I think want to let people know that they've come to see me. <laughs> so, Right. And I, I don't know, you know, because I think those that may be listening, I don't know if you are in an area similar to Richmond, which is quite conservative, although it's, it's gotten a bit less so, but, um, you know, there may be places like if we were in Northern California, what you were doing in the nineties would not be pioneering by, by any means. But the fact that we do live in a, you know, in a Southern conservative culture, and it's still an issue in terms of, um, what people explore or how they explore. So in, in some ways it's, it may seem a little foreign, but I, I guess I'm remembering and I, and I know my own evo- the evolution of my own work and how open I was in terms of sharing what I did and with who, that depending on the culture of where you are or even, you know, I think about family, um, meaning 
who our family is and how open we are with them about those kind of things, that it can be really groundbreaking and pioneering. And I, I, I'm just struck by how much you have um, stood in that role or stood in that place. I, I, we've, we've known each other for a number of years and we've talked, but I've, I've never really thought of it in that way. So I'm just taking that in. I would say to, to anyone who feels like they're in a pioneering role, um, um, I, I wish I could tell you you're not alone. Because I think that's the hard thing about being a pioneer is that there it, there's, there's a kind of loneliness in mm -hmm. that can be. Mm -hmm. So, um, and yet each time, um, you know, I definitely have hit up against the culture or the structure. You know, I was thinking the school system in Appalachia was, I had to really fight um, for the kids' rights. And then with the sex education, there was, there were difficult times. And even, um, you know, standing up for my practice now, like, um, to be sure to take in all the appreciation that comes your way mm. <laughs> like really receive it because um that's very strengthening mm. uh, it helped me um you know the the work that i did in appalachia and the sex even the sex ed stuff which i did some in texas and and in virginia you know i i definitely got positive feedback and I had, I was not as good. I would say I was not as good as re at receiving back then. Mm -hmm. um, and because women, you know, we're not so, that's not really our specialty. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be much, I might let myself focus more on the difficulties or the times that I, you know, that somebody was um, giving me a hard time, mm -hmm. threatening to fire me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right but uh, yes but i think that there must there is like a strength of character either a strength of character you carry and or just your clarity about this is what i am either called to do or is the right thing to do and i'm doing it regardless of the flack <laughs> yeah that i i was lucky enough to have that i would say that that was true that mm. i was clear each time and I think what's interesting is that especially when I was switching to or that in-between stage between the education piece and switching over to energy work um, that was really like three years in there um, I just couldn't believe I didn't like I didn't have a passion at that point I didn't know mm. where I didn't know what was next or what I was going to do and um, that, that fallow time was essential, was essential for my own healing. I would not have, I would not have been a very good healer if I hadn't done my own healing work. Mm. Um, but I also, there's something about that, you know, it's that time of not knowing is really, um, can be a beautiful time, mm -hmm. very rich time. Mm -hmm. so, so if you're, if any listeners are in that, like, yeah, just know that, know its value. 
and and I think then and also trust that when you know you will know I mean that's that's my experience yes that sometimes it feels like it may go on forever but it it doesn't go on forever and when it's over you know it (laughs) you know it and also then you can see back why you needed what what that time was rich for was full of that was necessary for the next piece yes yes so in terms of your life today and your life now um, just this idea of kind of feminine sovereignty or or, or really standing in that um, that place of you know leadership of your own life what what can you say about where you are today with that even in reflecting back on everything we've just talked about um well i've been i've thought a lot about the notion of freedom recently um when i finished the book i actually wasn't sure whether it was a book just for me or just for my family like for my kids or what it was and when i sensed into like what what is this book um i i got that it was um it was my path to personal freedom because um i because it was deeply honest and it it was a it was like a coming out like coming out as my own healing journey was um you know, expressing my own vulnerability and grief, and then coming out as an energy healer, like claiming what it's like to be able to have intuition, to have energy run through me, to be able to see, be clairvoyant sometimes, and you know, these different experiences, like to say, what, what, what is that? What's that like? Um, so. There's that, and then there's also um, I I just went to Ireland in August, and um, mm-hmm. I actually have Irish citizenship, but I have ne- I had never been to Ireland, and when I was there, I um, was reflecting a little bit on um, my family heritage. Both my mother's family and my father's family are from Ireland, mm. and what came really clear to me, um, which I thought about a little bit before, but I don't, there was something about it that just kind of crystallized when I was there is that I am by far the most free mm. woman of my lineage. Mm. Um, and then I, I started writing about all the freedoms that I have. Mm. I had, <clears throat> I had the freedom to choose who I wanted to marry and to choose somebody who was Jewish, not Catholic, mm-hmm. um, but choose my own spirituality, um, which for me meant, you know, leaving the Catholic church. And, and then, but then the freedom to use birth control, <laughs> freedom yes. well, if I wanted to have children or not, um, the freedom to, um, work or not work I was able to I had choice around that and then the freedom I mean the freedom to 
do some different kinds of jobs. I didn't have to stay a classroom teacher. Um, I was able to work in a neurology clinic, teach at a university, you know, train teachers. I mean, I've been able to do so much. I mean, I was able to, I was free to go up to Appalachia by myself to mm. teach. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, uh, and I'm, I know there's more that I'm not even thinking of right now, but <clears throat> that, yeah, there's a, a level of freedom that, um, that I can forget, you know, that I don't realize because even with the family, you know, my own, yeah, just my family of origin, I'm probably, I, I feel really free even compared to them. Mm -hmm. um, so. And what do you attribute that to or the, which, the, the feeling more free even than your family, family of origin or siblings or? Uh, it may just be simply that I've, um, I've broken out of the expectations of the family more. Everyone else um, mm -hmm. can still live near my mother and there's kind of a, um, I mean, it's a lovely family dynamic. I just don't fit in it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so broken out of some of the expectations. Um, mm. so. Yes, so you're untethered in that way. Yeah. By those, yeah. yes. <laughs> right. Well, I, I can both relate and uh, I would say it, it's in some ways it's the blessing and the curse of the not quite fitting in <laughs> it does um it, it kind of puts the pressure on us a bit to to deal with those expectations and it brings things to a head but once once they're dealt with you we are more free mm -hmm. yeah we are so if you dear listener is are in the midst of that, you know, either feeling the expectations or um, breaking free of them. You know, it's like knowing what's on the other side, that that, that freedom does come on the other side of that. So I'd like to ask my guests about a time or a story uh, when they listened to their sacred feminine flow or when they trusted that. Do you have a story to share with us about that? Let's see. In whatever form it looks like for you. It's different well, for everyone. I... So I would say mine arose out of um, an experience that I had of um, when I was in, in my healing journey and very, very depressed. Um, I had a vision that was very transformative and it was at a time when I didn't believe in visions and I didn't know what to do with it, but the it was 
it was of a woman um, and who um, did not, she did not speak except for seven words, um, but she through um, like something like telepathy told me, um, said she was the goddess of compassion. Mm. And she was um, just beautiful, full of light, kind of ageless. Um, and she, so it was a very physical healing experience. Her light came over me mm. and um, offered healing. But she did say seven words to me um, that I still, I would say, I still hold in mystery. So although I know some of what it might mean, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever fully know. It feels like um, one of those wonderful mysteries that gets sent. Mm. <laughs> she simply, she simply said, um, "I am you, and you are me." Mm. Mm. Uh, so I would. I'm telling this story because the sacred feminine flow mm -hmm. is present. <laughs> you know, it's pre I feel like it's present in me, and when it's not present, I don't feel like myself. Mm -hmm. Like, so definitely in my work, that that's the presence that I would say I come from. Hopefully, I mean, that would be my intent is to come from that sacred feminine flow. Mm. Um, but just in general in life, it feels pretty like an essential part of my true nature. Um, so. Mm. And I want you to know, too, that when as soon as soon as she said it, like I am you and you are me, I was very clear that she was not just saying it to me, that it was being said to all of us women. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. Mm. I can feel the, the, the tears pricking my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that story is, is in your book, yes? Yes. Yeah. So the, make more sense to you if you read the story in the book. <laughs> yes, I, I, I actually can visualize in my mind, because I, I read the book, it's been probably a couple of years at this point, but I, I still have the visual image in my own mind of that experience, because you described the setting. and um, it is a, It's a beautiful and powerful book, so I, I do highly recommend it. And if listeners want to buy the book, where can they get it? They can get it on Amazon, but I'm also I also have copies, and I'm happy to also you can get it from me too. Um, my website I think will be on your website, but it's mm -hmm. PeggySteele.net, and then um, my email's on the website too. So that that's just Peggy.Siegel at Gmail. But feel free to contact me or my phone numbers on the website too um, and I'll be happy to send you a copy. Wonderful. I'll autograph it for you. <laughs> yes, that would be special. <laughs>
All right. So as we, I, I can't believe we're nearly at the end of our time, but as we prepare to close, I always have to ask. So from where you're standing today, what wisdom would you share with your younger self? Um, to hmm, appreciate, uh, I think I wish uh, I could have appreciated my own goodness. Mm. Yeah, so just to be a reflection of that for your younger self. Yeah. Yes. Well, I have a, I, I don't know what age you're thinking of, but I have an image of your younger self. Um, I, I know that she was a young Catholic girl like I was as well. well that's right. <laughs> and there's so much emphasis on being good and not feeling good enough. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the bane of being a young Catholic girl or or certainly of our generations. I don't know. Yeah, I think I was that's true. I was pretty pretty good at following the rules and stuff. So I'm thinking more when I when I got out under following the rules to remember my own goodness. Aw. <laughs> Yes. I think we would have been good playmates on the playground. <laughs> yes. We absolutely would have been quite kind. I, I just remember, can, can you just share briefly your story about the, um, was it the UNICEF or from when you were a little girl? And do, do you remember? It's in your book. You talk about... Um, is it the saving money for the poor or what? Oh, no, no, was it the indulgences? Yeah, I think that's what it was. So when I was in sixth grade was when Vatican II was passed. And I had, we, we learned that you could earn indulgences <laughs> from, by doing good deeds, including like sharing cookies <laughs> with other people. <laughs> and being nice or by you could also do it by wearing um, a horsehair shirt <laughs> which my friend and I in potato sacks <laughs> inside our horsehair shirts for a while <laughs> that became uncomfortable anyway <laughs> we, I saved all these indulgences and I was really good in math <laughs> so I was good at adding up all my indulgences so anyway I turned 12 <laughs> Vatican II came along, and the nun all of a sudden announced that, um, you know, one of the things they decided in Vatican II is um, there are no more indulgences. And I was, like, mortified. <laughs> I had 10,000 years of indulgences saved up. So indulgences, in case you don't know, like save you from time and purgatory, <laughs> which is limbo or in between heaven and hell. And so, um, anyway, it was quite quite distraught <laughs> my losing my indulgences oh. <laughs> so now you can appreciate why I wanted to send this message to my younger self right <laughs> right yes. 
I was still had some goodness. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I also go back to, to your whole idea of, um, you know, of the freedom that comes mm -hmm. from being on the other side of those expectations. And you were talking about the family, but then, but then, you know, when I think about the church and as you're describing both the process of receiving indulgences and then them being randomly taken away. <laughs> you know, that as you come out from under the auspices of that structure, um, there is more freedom to just be your good self and not <laughs> not be caught up in the um, bureaucracy <laughs> of it all. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I had no idea we would get here to get today together, but I have enjoyed it immensely. Me too. Thank you so much. I well, really appreciate you interviewing me. Yes, you're welcome. And I, I want to just reconfirm uh, for our listeners, it, it will be on the site as well, but that your website is, can you say it one more time? It's Peggy.Siegel, excuse me, it's PeggySiegel.net, and Siegel is S as in Sam, I-E-G-E-L. Wonderful. And I, again, highly recommend the book, Teaching Albert Einstein to Fly. If for no other reason than to, to just hear more about that story and all the stories Peggy has, because she, she has quite a few great ones. And I thank want, you. you're welcome. And I want to thank you, our dear listener, for taking the time to be with us today and to remind you, as always, to always trust what your heart knows. Thanks for listening to Trust Your Sacred Feminine Flow with Joni Advent Maher. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share our podcast with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at iTunes.